Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, my name is Helen Freer and I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer in Zurich. Now, I think most people would agree that climate change is a very serious issue and the world has now started to tackle the problem, but we obviously still have a long way to go. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about hydrogen and to what extent hydrogen could play a part in the future energy system. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Roberto Cominotto, who is a research analyst at Julius Baer. Hello, Roberto, and thanks for joining me today. Hello, Helen. Could you just start by perhaps explaining to us what hydrogen actually is and why it has become such an important topic over the last two or three years? Yes, hydrogen is the most abundant element. It however, mostly exists not in pure form, but as part of molecules such as water or hydrocarbons, so gas, oil, coal. Hydrogen is is not an alternative energy source. It has to be produced from fossil resources or with the use of renewable energy. It's rather an energy carrier, so it can be used to store energy in the short and in the long term. It has a long history of being used in different industrial and chemical applications, such as refining, steel, fertilizers and other chemicals. But can hydrogen be used more widely now? The idea of using hydrogen more widely, especially in transportation, is not new. The idea or or the concept of a hydrogen economy had multiple phases of interest, which quickly faded, however. The first big hydrogen hype was already in the early 1970s, um, but it has never materialized, primarily because the costs are too high and the emissions are too high. But this time it could be different due to the current urgency to decarbonize our economy and also thanks to renewable energy. So in, in a couple of years, we could be able to produce hydrogen at competitive costs, thanks to abundant, low-cost renewable energy. As you know, we have one big issue with renewable energy. It's intermittent. Sometimes we have too much and sometimes not enough. We can manage this with a smart and interconnected grid, and you can store energy in batteries or in hydro plants. But this may not be enough. Hydrogen can be an additional solution here, You can produce hydrogen from renewable power and release it through a fuel cell or simply through burning hydrogen with uh, water vapor, the only emission. Okay, so hydrogen then is the most abundant of all the elements. But in water, for example, it's combined with oxygen. So that in itself isn't useful. The hydrogen has to be separated so that it can be used in its pure elemental form. So how is this done, Roberto? How does this separation process work? And I guess, crucially, can it be done without producing any toxic emissions? Well, here we have to distinguish between the different types of hydrogen. The hydrogen we use today is what we call grey hydrogen. It's produced primarily from a thermochemical transformation of natural gas, and it produces a lot of emissions. This is not what we want to grow going forward. 
you can use the same process producing hydrogen from uh, natural gas but then add equipment to capture the CO2 and store it underground. This is called blue hydrogen. That's an improvement, but uh, it's only a temporary solution, not an ideal permanent solution. So what we are most interested in is hydrogen produced from renewable energy with no significant emissions, and this is what we call green hydrogen. The process to produce hydrogen from electricity and water is actually very simple. It's called electrolysis. The first electrolyzers were invented already 200 years ago. And you might remember also from your chemistry class where in a simple experiment you separate water into oxygen and hydrogen using electricity. That's right. And so if you need water to produce hydrogen through electrolysis, is water supply an issue? No, not really. If hydrogen grows to a large part of our energy system, it will consume only a fraction of the water volume the oil and gas industry is consuming today. If you produce hydrogen in a desert area near a solar power plant, then even small amounts of water may not be available. However, um, if there is seawater in the vicinity, you must source water from a desalination plant. Okay, and so if there are no toxic emissions, green hydrogen could be an environmentally friendly way to store, transport and release energy where it's needed. Is that correct? Well, hydrogen is not going to be the silver bullet that solves our climate crisis, but it may become one of many solutions for some applications. Unfortunately, hydrogen is a very inefficient energy carrier. To produce, to store, to transport, and to re-electrify hydrogen, you lose a large amount of energy. Therefore, it will only find an application where we don't have more efficient climate-friendly technologies. We've established then that there are no toxic emissions, with water vapour being the only waste product. What would you say are the other key benefits of green hydrogen, Roberto? It can store very large amounts of energy for a very long time. So, for instance, in places where you produce large amounts of renewable energy in the summer, you can store this energy for release in the winter. You can do this with pumped hydro storage as well, but capacity here is limited. Batteries are good in storing electricity and releasing small amounts of electricity in short periods, but not suitable for seasonal storage. One big advantage of hydrogen is the high energy density per kilogram, which is about four times higher than for fossil fuels. Only time will tell where hydrogen will find an application in the future, but it is a very versatile energy carrier. It can be used in different industrial applications as a transportation fuel, for heating and as a storage solution. So I realise you just said only time will tell, but what kind of areas do you see there being a good case for green hydrogen? Well, the first use cases for green hydrogen is where we use conventional hydrogen today. That is in refining, in steel production, and also the production of fertilizers and chemicals. Then, generally speaking, we see a use case in industries which are hard to decarbonize or hard to electrify. This includes aluminum production and cement production. 
In the transportation space, the picture is not that clear yet. For light vehicles and passenger vehicles, hydrogen will probably only be an insignificant niche in our view. The use case for renewable power storage is probably overestimated. It, it will be much more economic and much more efficient to manage intermittent renewable energy generation through smart grids. But in situations where this is not possible, hydrogen is a solution. You touched on the use of hydrogen in vehicles just then. Elon Musk has actually called fuel cell vehicles full cell vehicles and says that they're a very silly idea. What are your thoughts on this? And what about hydrogen-powered trucks, buses and planes? Well, you can't take all of Elon Musk's statements seriously, but here we agree with his view. We believe there will be no future for hydrogen-powered light vehicles or passenger vehicles. At best, it will be a small niche. With the upcoming next generation of batteries, neither range nor charging speed issues will justify the use of a much less efficient and more expensive hydrogen. To give you some numbers on efficiency, a fuel cell electric vehicle wastes two-thirds of the electricity input in electrolysis, in transportation and reconversion of electricity in the fuel cell. A battery electric vehicle only loses around 25%, so a battery electric vehicle is, is around two and a half times as efficient as a fuel cell electric vehicle. The automotive industry has realized this, so for instance Mercedes-Benz has discontinued the, the, the development of fuel cell EVs. Hydrogen fuel cells could, however, play a role in powering long-range and heavy-duty trucks. Here batteries are facing challenges of range, of charging time and also of weight. Trains and ships are uh, also possible use cases for hydrogen. The aviation industry is developing hydrogen-powered regional aircrafts, but the problem here is that hydrogen tanks use a lot of space. So for long-distance airplanes, possibly biofuel and synthetic fuel could be better solutions. During the election campaign in Germany last year, synthetic fuels made from hydrogen or e-fuels were a big topic. Do you see an opportunity here? Well, politicians would like to make voters believe that they can keep their combustion engine cars, but this is not going to happen in our view. This is only going to be a small niche. Porsche, for instance, may choose to keep its flagship model, the 911, on a combustion engine running on e-fuels instead of gasoline. E-fuel is a synthetic fuel which is made from hydrogen and CO2, so it is CO2 neutral when you use it. It can be used for conventional combustion engines. But e-fuel vehicles are even more inefficient than fuel cell vehicles. They waste more than 80% of the electricity. That means that it will be much too expensive. I've read that the costs of production are very high. So is this going to be a feasible way to reduce greenhouse gas emissions? The cost of uh, electricity has been a major headwind over the past 50 years for hydrogen. The spike in gas prices has made green hydrogen now more cost competitive in some markets, but gas prices probably won't stay at current levels for too long. 
the whole hydrogen value chain should become more efficient over time. But by far the most important variable here is the energy input price. Fortunately, renewable energy input costs have been steadily declining and the outlook for them is to keep falling. We may have uh, times in the not-too-distant future where the cost of renewable energy will drop close to zero under certain weather conditions. And uh, also government policies should help bring down renewable energy costs fast. What sort of government policies? Do you mean governments in general incentivizing businesses to become greener? Yes, uh, several countries have announced hydrogen strategies and also quantified targets over the last two years. The EU here is in the forefront. Government policies in in many parts of the world support the development of green hydrogen with subsidies and financing. Looking at the theme from an investment perspective then, if investors decided this is an area that they would like to invest in, how could they get exposure? The green hydrogen market won't grow to a significant part of our energy system before the end of this decade and we still don't know exactly how we will get there. This makes it more difficult to find uh, the right investment vehicle. If you look at the hydrogen pure place, these would be companies that provide electrolyzers or fuel cells. Some of these companies have been around for 20 years or more, but none of them is profitable. All are relatively small, very volatile, and they already price in an optimistic growth scenario. Furthermore, electrolyzers are, in our view, not extremely sophisticated products. So market entry barriers are rather low, and the risk of becoming a commoditized product is high. If you look at what happened in the solar module market, it has shown us that growth alone is not a guarantee for financial success. China has already developed a large electrolyzer industry and we can't predict today how Western companies will be able to compete in the long term. We view today's hydrogen pure plays as too speculative. Okay, so what are the other options for investors then? The second group of companies are large diversified industrial gas and capital goods companies. They have a small exposure to the hydrogen value chain today but they could benefit from their existing expertise and large balance sheets. The third group then, and currently our preferred way to get exposure to the hydrogen theme, is indirectly, through electric utilities with a high exposure to renewables. They don't have a significant exposure to hydrogen today, however, they benefit both directly and indirectly going forward. They could become players in various parts of the hydrogen infrastructure, but maybe more importantly, they will benefit indirectly through their renewable business. If hydrogen uh, will grow to a large market, we will need more renewable energy, a lot more. We have all seen the horrific news coverage of the war in Ukraine, which is really, really distressing. One of the consequences has been a surge in oil and gas prices. Do you think that developments in energy markets as a result of the war will have any longer-term consequences for the hydrogen market? Yes, definitely. The EU has laid out a plan to become independent from Russian oil and gas well before the end of this decade. 
So the current situation will accelerate the energy transition. This includes hydrogen. Europe has uh, just recently quadrupled the targeted hydrogen volume for 2030. And what about the supply chain issue? Do you think supply chain disruptions will have any impact on the growth of renewable energy? It does have an impact, like it has for all other industries as well. For projects, for renewable projects, which are currently under construction or which will commence construction over the next year, supply prices are largely fixed. But we we may get some minor delays. In the medium term, these supply chain issues should get resolved, however. Otherwise, it will lead to higher power prices, but that will be the case for energy prices in general. So overall, we don't see this slowing down the renewable energy growth trajectory materially. So in summary then, you expect that we'll see long-term growth of the hydrogen market. But with long-term, we're talking about a time frame of around 10 years before we will see a large green hydrogen market. And Roberta, you're saying that green hydrogen is broadly emission-free, but it's dependent on low-cost renewable energy if it's to become a viable energy carrier in the long term. And in terms of investing, you say that pure play hydrogen companies are too speculative and suggest getting exposure to the theme indirectly through utility companies. Is that a good summary or anything else to add, Roberto? Yes, Helen, that's actually a very good summary. Thank you very much and thanks for having me today. Excellent. Thank you, Roberto, for the really informative conversation. And with that, we conclude this edition of the Beyond Markets podcast. I would like to thank Roberto for joining me today and thank you all for tuning in. We do hope that you enjoyed listening to this conversation and we hope that you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking. Visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.